Wrath and Storm. Edited by Peter Archer. Magic, The Gathering, Anthology. A Dark Room. The room was long and dark, lit only by a single guttering candle. The bookcases that lined the stone walls, each loaded with leather-bound tomes, seemed to lean inward, menacing the slender figure who knelt by an open chest. Wild white hair straggled across his face, and from time to time, he brushed it impatiently away. His eyes flickered uneasily about the room, especially toward the high vaulted window covered by heavy drapes. Through a gap in the curtains there flashed intermittently a harsh, ghastly light. Muffled boom of thunder rumbled through the room, and a few books tumbled from the shelves. The white-haired man, surrounded by packets of papers, started and half rose. Then, shrugging his shoulders, he returned to his documents. So preoccupied was he that he took no notice of a small wooden door at the far end of the chamber swung open, and a boy entered. Slight of figure with slender wrists, perhaps ten or eleven years old, he was clad in the brown robes of a student. Softly, he advanced until he was directly behind the man. Master? Oh, the older man startled again, scattering papers and nearly upsetting the candle. Don't do that, boy. Are you insane? You could be killed sneaking about like that. He paused in his tirade to consider the boy more closely. What are you still doing here? Anyway, you should be in bed. The boy shook his head, tears starting in his eyes. Don't be angry with me, Master. I was frightened by the storm and I saw a light in here. One of the other masters was telling us of a fire started by lightning that burned down a great library and I was worried. I, I couldn't bear for all of this to be lost. His voice trailed off as he hung his head, sobbing openly. Nonsense! The storm just thunder and lightning. Nothing will hurt anyone. The master's voice softened. What's your name? Ilcaster, sir. Well, Ilcaster, take it from me that this library will still exist long after you and I are gone. It cannot last any storm. But how, Master? The boy gazed disconsolately around the room, most of it sunk in shadow. Books don't last forever. The Master's hand lightly slapped his pupil. Books, he said contemptuously. Books are not the soul of the library. But, Master, it's written elsewhere that a library without books is like a castle without walls, a monastery without monks, a... The true library, interrupted the old man, tapping his forehead, is up here. What do you mean, Master? I mean, foolish boy, that what matters are the memories in our heads, not smudges of ink on paper. Ilcaster wrinkled his brow. I think I understand, Master, but then why preserve books at all, and why are you bothering with these? His outstretched hands indicated the papers lying about them. The older man grunted and bent again to his task. Now because, although the library is the sum of memories, we need reminding occasionally that these papers are perishable. Never forget that, lad. Now, as long as you're here, help me sort these. This part of the archives hasn't been touched in decades, and I want to clean it up. The two figures bent over the documents, their shadows stretching over the floor to meld with the deeper darkness beneath the library walls. To Ilcaster, it seemed as if the flashes of light were growing more frequent, and the deep-throated rumbles were louder than before. What's this? white-haired man glanced over the boy's shoulder. A flying ship. See? Down there. That's her name. Weatherlight? It's a pretty name. A fine name for a fine ship. But it's quite well known. Didn't you read about it, her in early Dominarian legends? 
The boy hung his head, and even in the dim light, the master could see he was blushing. Oh, for shame! The story of the Weatherlight is one of the great epic stories of the age. Well, I've never heard it, anyway, observed the boy. And I never heard of a sailing ship that could fly. Flying is for ornithopters. Ah, oh, well then. Naturally, you know all about it. The old man returned grumpily to his papers. Ilcaster saw he'd gone too far. I beg your pardon, Master. I didn't mean to disbelieve you. Weatherlight? No, I, I, I've never heard of her. Who was her captain? Gerard Capuchin. Though how he came to be captain... The old man's voice trailed off, and he glanced up at the gloom that surrounded them. Go on, Master. What happened to him? The Master sighed and spread his hand in resignation. Very well. This was many years ago, but still thousands of years after the Brothers' War. You've heard of that, I suppose. In Argive Reckoning? The date of the Wrath Cycle would be 4205, but the story actually begins some 26 years previous to that. Gerard was an orphan living in Jamura. He had been given into the care of a war clan by his parents before their death and raised by the Sidar Kondo along with his own son, Vool. Sidar Kondo? Who's that? The leader of the war clan. Why did Gerard's parents abandon him? They did not abandon him. They gave him over to the war clan for his own safety. Why? Who was threatening him? Uh, well, as Gerard grew older, he heard stories of a mysterious figure called the Lord of the Wastes. Some members of the war clan even claimed to have seen this strange figure. They said he was tall with burning eyes surrounded by a halo of flame that destroyed everything it touched. Ilcaster nodded. Yes. Master, I, I think I've heard of those stories, so that's who was threatening Gerard's life? No, no, of course not. The stories were so much superstitious nonsense. Halo of flame indeed. The old man's eyes grew dim, as if he were looking deep inside himself, drawing forth memories that had not been recalled in a very, very long time. No. The real enemy was someone much worse. Who could be worse than someone who burns everything he touches, or someone named the Lord of the Wastes? The old man scowled. I'll tell you, and if you quiet and listen, for a moment, it suffice to say that Gerard grew up Knowing his parents were dead, murdered by some mysterious force whose true name he did not know. Gerard was brought to the clan by a silver golem named Karn, bequest from his parents. The golem was a marvelous machine that you might almost mistake for a living being. But even more marvelous, the golem carried within it a collection of magical artifacts known as the Legacy. The old man turned over a paper. I had a list here somewhere... He murmured. List of the items that were part of the legacy. Well, no matter. Here, boy, sort through this pile and separate all the documents. Headed in red. You can do that while I talk. The legacy had also been bequeathed to Gerard by his parents. The origins of this collection were unknown to Gerard, or indeed to Khan himself. Nonetheless, the Golem knew the collection was of supreme importance and that both Gerard and the legacy must be closely guarded until... Some far-off day of destiny. Gerard and Vool, the Siddhar's son, were close as blood brothers. They played together, learned together, and together they sampled all the pleasures and pains of growing boys. But as they neared manhood, Vool grew jealous of Gerard, an envy egged on by a mysterious fellow named Stark. Another mystery, 
said the boy, drawn in by the story. Who was this Stark? None knew at the time. He appeared from out of the desert and sought refuge with the war clan. First he spoke softly and gently, but some noticed that he spent much of his time watching, watching the two boys. Some thought that the time went on that Stark seemed to look with this special intensity at fool, as if he had some great future plan for the young man. And always he whispered in Vool's ear, though what the young man heard from Stark he kept hidden from all, including both his father and Gerard. Others might have resisted Stark's blandishments, but Vool was jealous, quick to anger, sensitive to slights. Stark persuaded the foolish Vool, who was also arrogant as only young men can be, that Gerard intended to steal his birthright. But, but Gerard was innocent, interrupted Ilcaster. The old man, in the full flow of his narrative, swung round and glared at the student, who blushed and pretended to study carefully an illustration and manuscript before him. Yes, conceded the librarian. Gerard was innocent of the intentions Stark attributed to him. But Vool believed the whisperings of the mysterious man. In all Gerard's actions, he saw only plots against his rightful place in the clan. The master paused, and Ilcaster, after a moment, said, Perhaps Stark was working for the Lord of the Wastes, or, or rather, he added hastily, for the force that had killed Gerard's parents. The librarian nodded grudgingly. That's an interesting guess. Whatever the case, Stark succeeded in turning Vool against Gerard and against his own father. His plot culminated during Vool's rite of passage. Ilcaster nodded. I heard of those. They're used in some societies to show passage to adulthood. What was this one for? Uh, yes, it was a ritual to which every Siddhar's son was subject. To succeed his father in the leadership of the clan, Vool had to pass this test. Stark knew this and manipulated matters so that Vool's life was threatened during the ritual. Stark also knew that Gerard could not bear to see his friend in danger and would rescue him. The old man sighed. Gerard performed just as Stark had expected, and Vool was saved from death. But since he had disrupted the ritual, Vool angrily accused his stepbrother of destroying his chance to become warlord. Vool brooded on the insult until finally, at Stark's urging, he decided to steal the most precious thing Gerard possessed, the legacy. Karn became aware of this plot, though too late to prevent it. One night when the clan slept, Vool rose from his bed, gathered the pieces of the legacy together, and carried them away with him. Ilcaster looked puzzled. But how could he steal them so easily? he asked. Wasn't Karn guarding them? Well, he should have been, but the Golem was deceived by Vool, but like both Gerard and the Sadat. Karan was aware of the theft almost immediately and gave chase to the treacherous young man. His journey was long, but the golem could not travel nearly as fast as the Sadar's son, and he lost the trail many times. But at last he traced Vool to a remote village, and there he demanded the return of the legacy. And did Vool fight? I would have thought he had much chance against a golem, Ilcaster asked, his tone skeptical. No, in ordinary circumstances, Karn could probably have defeated Vool easily, but the young man tricked the Silver Golem. During their fight, Karn was responsible for the death of an innocent bystander. Horrified, he stopped the fight, swearing that he'd battle no more lest others be hurt. 
In that moment of weakness, Wu used a piece of the legacy called the Touchstone. Deactivate the golem. Lucaster wrinkled his brow. Used it? Did he use the magical power within it to destroy the golem? Uh, no, 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 no. He brought it close to Khan, where its power turned off the machine that was the golem. But just before his consciousness faded, Khan reached out and clutched the touchstone, pulling it away from Vool. All the latter's efforts were insufficient to pry it loose again, and Vool was forced to flee the village, whose inhabitants had turned against him. In fact, the villagers believed Khan had liberated them from Vool, and as a reward, they placed the immobile statue of the golem in the village square, where it remained for years. Ilcaster laughed delightedly, and the unexpected sound seemed to momentarily push back the gathering shadows in the room. A statue! That's wonderful! But what, what happened to the legacy? But Vool took it with him and scattered it piece by piece throughout the lands in which he traveled. Gerard was left with only a single item of the legacy, a necklace with an hourglass pendant. See, here, here, here's a sketch of it. It's beautiful. Yes, but that was all Gerard retained of his birthright. Meanwhile, Vool, having scattered the legacy far and wide, launched a war against his father. There's another rumble of thunder. Rain rattled against the windows. The librarian moved to one wall and checked the fastenings on the panes before resuming his story. Gerard left the war clan. He didn't know what happened to Karn, his guardian from boyhood. Perhaps he felt abandoned, having lost both Karn and Vool. In any event, he took up magical training under the tutelage of a Moro sorcerer named Maltani. There in the caves where Maltani lived, Gerard met Miri, a cat warrior, and Rafelos, a Lanawar elf. For many years, they were his closest friends. I, I, I don't understand, interrupted Ilcaster. Why, why did Vool still hate Gerard so much? The librarian steepled his fingers. He'd become obsessed. Some might say he was mad. He was determined to blot out Gerard and all who were near him. Vool, in his envious rage, pursued Gerard. Maltani learned of the threat in time and sent Gerard, Miri, and Raphelos away from the cave. When they returned some time later. They found the cave in ruins and Maltani gone. Dead? Ilcaster's eyes were wide. The master shook his head. Not know for sure. Certainly the three companions did not know, but worse was to come. They returned to the war clan's encampment, the site of Gerard's youth. They again found a scene of ruin and slaughter. The warlords, Gerard's adoptive father, was dead, and Gerard's last tie to his past was broken. Now Gerard knew this must be the work of Vool. Three companions left the cave and tried to make the best lives for themselves that they could, traveling the land as hired fighters. At last, during their travels, Gerard, Miri, and Raphelos met Sisse, a Jamuran native and captain of the Weatherlight. Sisse? I, I thought you said Gerard was the captain frown on the old man silenced the boy's eager outburst. I'm sorry, master. The boy subsided and huddled close to the old man's feet, his eager face turned upward. Sisse was able to persuade Gerard to join her. In point of fact, she won a bet against him. Payment was to join her crew. What was the wager? The scholar snorted contemptuously. <laughs> it was thoroughly Foolish. Apparently the three companions were throwing knives. A low tavern of some sort. Sisse watched them for a time. They 
challenged Gerard to a contest of skill. He accepted confidently and rejoiced when his knife struck the very center of the target. But Sisse, whose warrior skills had been honed by long years of training, split the haft of his knife with her own cast. Gerard was humiliated before his friends, and sullenly he agreed to fulfill his part of the bet and enlist with her. Once he and the others were aboard, she revealed to him that she'd been searching for the pieces of the legacy ever since fools scattered them. She asked for Gerard's help, and he reluctantly agreed to give it. Ilcaster's brow was wrinkled. I must be missing a piece of this puzzle, he said. Why was Sisse searching for the legacy? What did it have to do with her? The librarian nodded. Well, you should have. You should ask that. In fact, Sisse herself had a mysterious birthright. Like Gerard, she was an orphan. Her parents, too, had died under strange circumstances. And before they died, they told her stories of the Lord of the Wastes. But you just earlier said it was just a... I know I did. Be silent, boy. It's true that the Lord of the Wastes is mythological, conceded the librarian. Had they lived longer, I think Sisse's parents might have told her that. They died too soon, since they did not know the entire truth. In any case, her parents warned her that the only force that had the power to defeat the Lord of the Wastes was the legacy. They passed to her their most precious possession, Weatherlight, and charged her to go forth and seek out the scattered pieces of the legacy. Sadly, during one of her many journeys on the ship, her parents died. But meanwhile, Sisse had accumulated many of bits of legacy and stowed them on board the ship. This, at any rate, was as much of her history as Sissy told to Gerard and his companions. Gerard sensed that there was more, but she was not willing to reveal it to him. Weatherlight's crew included a good many strange creatures whom Sisse had picked up in the course of her adventures. Tangarth, the Talurum Minotaur, his first mate. The navigator was... Hanan, Argivian artificer, and there was Orum, a Samite healer, Krovax, a nobleman, and Squee, the goblin cabin boy. Of course, there were many more, but these are the figures who play particular roles in our story. Gerard, Rafelos, and Miri joined this band. They searched for some time before an urgent message drew them back to Krovax's home in Urbor. It seemed his estate was under attack by strange creatures from a plane called Wrath. Wrath! The boy bounced excitedly. Master, that's the very word written on top of this paper. The Wrath Cycle. Of course it's the Wrath Cycle. Isn't that what I just told you? No, Master, you said... Oh, all right, all right, never mind that. The old man rose and stomped about the room, his feet beating out an indignant rhythm on the stone floor. Just be quiet and listen. Weatherlight arrived just in time to turn back and attack by these creatures... Gallobraid and Morfen, their names were. But during the fight, Gallobraid slew Raphelos the elf. As Raphelos lay dying in Gerard's arms, Krovax drew on the power of a cursed artifact that had belonged to his family for generations and summoned Selenia, a guardian angel in the service of Krovax's family. With her help, Weatherlight's crew beat back the attack, but when the battle was over, Sisse and Gerard quarreled. Gerard wanted to abandon the search for the legacy, a quest he blamed for the death of his friend, Raphelos. And nothing Sisse said to him could change his mind. 
taking the hourglass pendant and Miri with him, Gerard left Weatherlight. Left? Boy almost shouted. But you told me he became captain. So I did, and so he did. The story doesn't end here. Are you finished sorting that stack of papers? Good. The old man tied the bundle with a string and thrust it into a cabinet. Now, do the same for these two stacks. The boy began gathering scattered packets, stacking them neatly by the old man's feet, then paging through them. The master, glancing around the room as if to assure himself they were still alone, went on with his tale. Undoubtedly, there was much bitterness on both sides in the court. To Sisse, it appeared that Gerard was simply abandoning his destiny in favor of his own selfish interests. And to Gerard, it seemed Sisse put some abstract commitment to the legacy of the lives of those nearest and dearest to her. Other crew members were affected by the quarrel as well. Over the years he served on the Weatherlight, Gerard had grown close to Hannah, the navigator, who probably knew more than anyone about the ship. Her feelings were strong indeed, but she hesitated to speak them aloud to Gerard. When he left, she felt hurt and betrayed. Tangarth, on the other hand, seemed almost pleased to see Gerard leave, as if the young man was confirming some estimate the Minotaur had formed his character. At any rate, Gerard and Miri left, and the ship sailed on. While Sisse and the rest of the Weatherlight crew were continuing their journey in search of the legacy, Gerard traveled to Benalia, where he joined the Benalish infantry and became a master-at-arms. Miri returned to Lanawar to inform Rafelos' kin of the elves' death, and so the two friends parted. Meanwhile, Sisse had discovered a key part of the legacy, an artifact called the Thran Toll. From this magical book, she learned two things of tremendous importance. First, the tome told her that Weatherlight, itself a part of the legacy, could actually move between different planes of existence. This ability to plane shift was made possible by the crystal that powered the ship's engines. The tome also told Sisse of a plane called Wrath, the very place from which Galobrade and Mornfen had come to attack Krovax's estate. The tome's entries were not entirely clear. Sisse concluded from them that Wrath had some great importance for the future of Dominaria. Sisse also recovered Karn from the village where Vool had hidden him, and the Silver Golem became a valued part of the Weatherlight's cargo of artifacts. Along with Karn, of course, she also found the Touchstone still clutched uh, irretrievably in the golem's grasp. And then Sisse stumbled onto a piece of terrifying information. Vool, the Sadar's son, Gerard's deadliest enemy, had left the plain of Dominaria for wrath. In that dark place, he had become the ruler and had changed his name, Volrath. He brooded there in his great fortress, stronghold planning Gerard's destruction. All this Sissy learned from a native of Wrath. Stark. Wait a moment, Boy interrupted. Wasn't Stark the same one? That's right, Stark. The same man who had corrupted Vool. But why would Stark help Sissy? Because although he'd helped Volrath to become the ruler of Wrath, he was horrified when he realized for whom Wrath had been constructed, who its rulers truly serve. Who? 
boy's voice sank to a whisper as if he feared the answer. Phyrexia. The old man's voice trembled, as if in the answer the light flashed outside and the walls of the library shivered. The old man cleared his throat and continued his story. <laughs> Stark had undergone many changes over the years. Now he was trying to play both sides against one another. He tried to corrupt Krovax, playing on the love of the young nobleman felt for the angel Selenia. Krovax, who had returned to his family estate after the death of the fellows, freed Selenia, smashing the artifact that summoned her. He did this out of great love for her, but in doing so, he doomed both her and himself. Soon after she was freed, the angel was snatched away from Krovax through a kind of portal. The wily Stark persuaded Krovax to rejoin Weatherlight, hoping to shape Sissy's ship into a weapon with which might oppose Volrath's power. In a more personal reason for his hatred of Volrath, the ruler of Wrath had taken Stark's daughter, Takara, prisoner, and held her as insurance against her father's good behavior. <laughs> the boy snorted. Would have served him right if Volrath had gotten wind of his plan. Stark's plot was even more complicated than that. He knew that Volrath's great enemy was Gerard. He needed a way to lure Gerard to Wrath, where the young master at arms could confront and destroy Volrath. So he performed one last bit of treachery. What was that? The boy, his packets forgotten, sat open-mouthed on the floor. Stark betrayed Sisse to Volrath. The evil ruler kidnapped her and stole the bits of the legacy she so painstakingly collected. Then Stark revealed to the crew of the Weatherlight who had kidnapped Sisse, begged them to find Gerard, to force him to accompany them. They departed on their greatest mission, traveled to Wrath, and rescued Sisse.